and welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Julia, yes. I'm so excited today. Me too. <laughs> we have, uh, for the first time, I mean, I know we have international listeners, but for the first time we have an international guest. Yes. <laughs> I feel very <laughs> volunteered I to come on to our show. It's great. <laughs> Um, so if you would like to give, uh, the introduction to our special guest. Yes. Joining us via Skype, we have Sarah Fitzgerald, who is a PhD student at Sussex University in Brighton, England. Um, and she's a very exciting thesis topic and very exciting, like, area of study. And, um, she's here to, to school us. Hello, Sarah. Welcome. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Great. That's excitement all around. (laughs) (laughs) Super excited. Do you want to um, tell everybody a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, sure. So I am, as you said, a PhD student at Sussex. Um, I'm studying pidgin creole languages, which are mixed languages that I'm going to be telling you about today. Um, My thesis actually explores kind of the reasons behind the way these these languages develop but I'm going to give you more of an overview Mm. Um, I live in Brighton in England which is a place where it's always sunny even (laughs) though sometimes the clouds kind of hide that fact always sunny (laughs) (laughs) but yeah that's me (laughs) hi awesome awesome we're so excited to have you great so uh please whenever you're ready Okay. Um, I wanted to say at the very beginning that if at any point I'm getting like a bit too jargony or I say something that you guys don't understand, please stop me and <laughs> ask me questions. And if you have questions as they come up, ask me those as well, because obviously that will help okay. if I'm, you know, not making sense. Of course. So yeah. I'm going to start by giving you an overview of what Pidgin and Creole languages are and where they're spoken. Um, I have to do this bit as an academic. I have to tell you what I'm going to do next. <laughs> we can't just launch in. It's kind of in inbuilt. Um, and then I'm going to talk a bit about how linguists think that these languages might have developed and describe the languages a bit. And then I'm going to finish up by talking about kind of how they're used today in the modern world. So hopefully, hopefully we'll learn a lot along the way. Great. Oh my gosh, this um, is definitely our most scholarly. Yes, I'm very excited. <laughs> episode. Yes. It'll also be fun. Yeah, definitely. Um, So the language that I study is Cameroon Pidgin English, which is, despite the name, it's a Creole language, which is spoken in Cameroon um, by, we think, at least 50% of the population. It's a big language in that country. Oh, wow. Um, And I thought that it might be helpful to start out with a clip so you can kind of hear what the languages sound like. Oh, awesome. Um, I don't don't know exactly how this will work. I'm going to play it at my end, and I can always send you guys the sound clip to put in separately if necessary. So let's see if this works. I have a clip of two men talking in Cameroon Pigeon English um, about what class a child they know is in. So have a listen and see if you can spot any words that you recognize. <laughs> okay? Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, I go to school for, for evening, you know. Uh, I go evening school for evening school. Then I watch class uh, for five. Uh, you two try. Uh, last year, then uh, from three. Miss, don't join one class. Uh-uh. The jump jump. Ah, it's more border, it's more border they wish class. It's more border. Yes. It's more border they form two. Yeah, do. Me say even that it's more border, it's no book, eh? it's no book, it's no book. Ooh, we do not hear anything. <laughs> okay. In that case, we'll have to insert it and pretend that you did. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um so 
yes, what you would have heard had that worked um, is a very African sounding language. The pronunciation is not like, you know, American English or British English. Um, it's very much an African language, but you would have heard words here and there that you would recognize things like class or maybe jump Ooh, okay. interspersed with lots of lots of words that you wouldn't necessarily recognize mm. or words being used in a way that you wouldn't necessarily recognize but yes i will send you that clip what a shame <laughs> <It's all right. laughs> sorry okay so starting out um i've used the word pigeons and creoles a few times mm -hmm. right um and i want to i'm going to tell you kind of what the definitions of those words are but i also want to note that it's not there's no single definition that all linguists agree on. Oh, okay. Uh, either term. So I'm going to give you kind of the most widely agreed on definition because that makes sense for a podcast. Oh, of course. But it would be wrong if I gave the impression that they're universal or uncontested mm -hmm. definitions. Sure. So these are both types of languages that arise in contact situations. Um, so when speakers of two or more languages come into regular contact with each other and need to communicate but don't have any language in common. Um, a lot of the languages that we kind of would be more familiar with pigeon as pigeons and creoles arose because of um, the slave trade and colonialism. So they're spoken in the Caribbean and on the west coast of Africa. Oh, right. Um, and the vocabulary of these languages uh, is taken from the group with the power in the situation. Sure, yeah. So in the case of these kind of Caribbean and West African languages, these are mostly European languages. So most commonly English, French, Dutch, and Portuguese, because those were the big European powers that were moving people about. Wow. So, um, yeah, so we, we call these languages that they take the words from lexifier languages, and that's a term I'm gonna use quite a lot. So those are the languages, usually of European powers, the words come from. Okay, oh cool. <laughs> lexifier languages. Um, some examples you might have come across of these kind of languages are Jamaican Patois. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's that's a Jamaican Creole, um, which is English-based. Maybe Nigerian Pidgin English. I don't know if you've come across that. Not too it's, often. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably more common in Nigeria than New York, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> it's spoken quite widely in the diaspora, so there's bound to be speakers of it. Oh, sure. Um, and um, Haitian Creole, which is a French-based Creole. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so a pigeon is traditionally thought of as the first stage in this kind of contact situation. Um, so you get this very reduced vocabulary because people are just trying to communicate in a really basic way to get things done. Yeah. Um, they tend to have a lack of a structured grammar and they have limited capacity for communication. So if you think about if you were to go to, I don't know, Spain, and you had one or two words of Spanish, how you'd communicate in a shop, you might use a lot of gestures. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep, that would be me. I am, my Spanish is <laughs> awful. I'm really good at French and yes. I can like read Italian, but my Spanish is no bueno. <laughs> Oh, no, it's great. Oh, yeah. That's it. But that was very good. So. Yeah. Yeah, I, was, I was trying to avoid French because I've heard you talking about French before. Like, no, no, that wouldn't work. <laughs> um, so, yeah, in this situation, some grammar will emerge um, because it helps with communication. But nobody's speaking this as a first language. It's not sufficient for that kind of communication. So that's a basic pigeon. Okay, wow. A Creole develops from a pidgin. So it's what happens when a pidgin language develops 
all of the grammar and all of the vocabulary that it needs to express the human condition and the human experience. So it can be, in fact, it is one of the definitions is it's spoken as a first language by the majority of its speakers. Okay. That's really interesting because, okay, so in the US, we kind of use Creole as like an overarching term for like what happens in Louisiana and like around the Gulf Coast. And we kind of use that as like kind of an adjective. Yeah, like more Creole so, food, Creole culture. Yeah, like music and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So we use, we kind of use that word more for than just a language, but it's, I mean, that's really interesting. Yeah. So, so you're, yeah. what you're saying is that a Creole is kind of the more complex, like, offshoot of a pigeon yeah exactly yeah and I'm going to come to your more typical use of Creole in a bit because I was wondering about that as well because obviously we've come across here we've come across the idea of Louisiana Creole culture so so I did some googling (laughs) (laughs) um but just to complicate things a little bit pigeon the pigeon Creole distinction isn't completely clear-cut so there is good evidence that not all Creoles have to go have to develop from a pigeon and also not all pigeons will develop into creoles um and as well as that there are languages that don't quite fit the definition of either so for example the language that i study which is called cameroon pigeon english doesn't meet the requirements of a creole because it's not the first language for the majority of its speakers so it can't really be called a creole um but it's also not a pigeon because it has that fully developed grammar, it needs to be a first language. Oh, so it okay. is a language for some speakers. So we sort of, we quite often refer to languages like this as an extended pigeon. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, when I'm writing, I tend to use pigeon slash Creole as a kind of handy mm-hmm. um, shorthand. But I'm probably just going to use the term Creole when talking to you for Creoles and extended pigeons, because those are the languages I'm mostly going to talk about. There's not a lot of true pigeons that I, I know very much about. Okay, so, wow. I use Creole, but it could be one of these extended pigeons as well. Um, yeah, and the other thing that complicates things a little bit is that many of these languages have the word pigeon in their name, <laughs> even when they're extended pigeons or Creole. And that's because, you know, they began as pigeons and they were called pigeon by their speakers and still are sometimes. But from a linguistic perspective, they're no longer these very, very reduced languages. So we can't always that- trust it. Yeah. You can't always yeah. trust it if it has pigeon in the name. Okay. Yeah. Boy. If a Nigerian tells you they're speaking pigeon, they are speaking an extended Creole <laughs> or an extended <laughs> pigeon or Creole. Mm-hmm. But it's called pigeon. Yeah. Okay. So nice and simple. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Um, so as with any language, there's no one version of any Creole. You'll have different regional and regional. <laughs> there's a word. Regional and social variations. So you'll get different dialects spoken in different places and different registers. For example, if you're speaking with your grandmother versus if you're speaking with your friends, you right. might speak differently. Yeah. And that's the same in any language and Creoles are included in that. And then you also get languages. These languages are quite often spoken in places that are very multilingual. So people have a lot of different first languages and use the Creole as a way of communicating across those language boundaries. Mm. So quite often you'll have different varieties of these languages based on what the speaker's first language is. For example, in Cameroon, you you can roughly divide people into Francophone French speakers and Anglophone English speakers. And the Francophone Cameroon Pigeon English will be a little bit different from the Anglophone Cameroon Pigeon English because they're bringing in their own 
vocabulary from their first languages. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So that, does that make sense? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. Cool. This is so... Um, I know, I'm fascinated. I had, like... I am actually like super interested in linguistics oh, yeah. and I have never thought about any of this. No, me neither. No, this is amazing. I took one linguistics class in college and I was like, I learned how to like do the Ooh, uh, pronunciation. Phonetic guides, alphabet. The phonetic alphabet. Yeah. And then I stopped. <laughs> it is useful. So many words have like a Wikipedia or a dictionary entry that tells you exactly how to pronounce that. Mm-hmm. I was, I always think that people should learn the IPA full stop. <laughs> yeah. And also it, it, it also doubles as some sort of like, secret code that you can <laughs> write notes in, which is what I, what I used to do with my um with my linguistics partner Phil yeah I used you to write notes each to each notes. other in IPA because I'm cool You're really cool <laughs> anyway well yeah I mean I automatically think that's cool so yeah, you're in the right yes, company <laughs> yeah thank you Sarah thank you see we're it's a safe space yeah, absolutely for IPA <laughs> yeah. um so getting on to the use of the word Creole to describe people and culture. Um, I Googled, I looked at Wikipedia primarily, um, and the, the use of the word is related. Okay. Yeah. But the use of the word for, as it relates to languages, is not directly from the use of the word as it relates to people. Sure. So the term for people and culture is actually older. Um, and again, it does arise from colonialism and the, the trade in people. And it was used um, in various different ways at various different times in various different places, but usually either to talk about mixed ethnic groups that resulted from the conditions of colonialism and the slave trade, or to talk about people of European or African descent who settled or were settled mm. in the Caribbean or the Americas. Mm-hmm. So they kind of arise from the same the same circumstances, but the word was applied to people first. And that's been used since the 1600s. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Whereas the term for language has only been around since the 19th century. Oh, so it's much oh. newer. Yeah. Um, in both cases, it comes to English from Latin. My Latin pronunciation is not ideal, but I think it's the word criare, maybe, which meant to make or produce. And it came in from Portuguese, which has the word crea, I think, I think that's how it's said, to raise or to bring up. Oh. So it's kind of this, this idea of, I guess, creating something new. Oh, I see. Okay. Oh, that's cool. Oh, yeah. yeah, that is cool. Um, a lot of these Creole groups, like in Louisiana, have distinct ethnic identities. Um, I think in Louisiana, it's specifically French and Spanish settlers' descendants right. that it's used to refer to. Um and although the words roots are the same, um, Creole languages are not necessarily spoken by Creole people. Okay, sure. They can be. <laughs> they <laughs> often are. So you've got, um, you have got Creole languages in Haiti and Louisiana and Sierra Leone, which are all areas that also have people that are or have been described as Creole people. Okay. But you also get them in Cameroon and Nigeria, where there aren't people that consider themselves to be Creole. So... Related, but not from one another. Yeah. All right. It's important to remember. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so the next thing I'm going to talk about is where these languages are spoken, because I've talked a lot about Africa and the Caribbean, and certainly there are a lot spoken there, but they're also spoken all around the world. Um, so the Creoles I've been talking about generally get called Atlantic Creoles because they're spoken on the Atlantic coast of either the Americas and the Caribbean or, or of Africa. Um, 
there are English-based Creoles. There are loads of them spoken in Africa. So you, you get them in Benin, in Cameroon, Gabon, Ghana, Sierra Leone, Liberia, and Nigeria, among others. But those are kind of the big ones. Um, in the Caribbean, you've got English-based Creoles in the Bahamas, Barbados, Guyana, Jamaica, Trinidad, St. Kitts, and also in the southeast of the U.S., which is Gullah, which I guess oh, right, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you also get French-based Creoles, so you get them spoken in the French West Indies, French Guyana, Haiti, and Louisiana again. Um, I'm not sure what that one is. And then you get Portuguese Creoles spoken in Equatorial Guinea, um, Guinea-Bissau, Cape Verde, so quite a lot of those as well. Um, and then in the rest of the world, you also get English-based Creoles in Australia, Belize, Vanuatu, Hawaii, Malaysia, Singapore, Papua New Guinea, Suriname, there's loads. Um, Portuguese ones in Malaysia, Singapore, Sri Lanka. Um, there's a Spanish-based Creole and a Chinese-based Creole in the Philippines. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that makes sense, though. That makes sense. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Sarah, you're blowing my mind. This is like this is like second level geography yes. for sure. Like if uh, in America, there was a show on in the 90s called Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego that it was like for kids and it was like a geography game show. But you got to um, like at the final round, you had a big life size map on the f well, not life size, but a big map on the ground. And you had to like run around and put like lights on the, the cities and the countries they were asking you about. And whenever anybody got the Africa map they were like oh, oh forget no. it no no 12 year old kid in America had the Africa map no. memorized but nowadays a bunch of us do so yeah. this is like this is like she's naming all these places and, and all I'm the like, lights bing, are going bing, off bing, bing, bing. Yeah. <laughs> if I if we thought ahead we could have made a map ourselves and you guys could be running around that's true oh next time we'll turn next this time. into a game yeah, yeah. YouTube video <laughs> Uh, let's see, what else have you got? There's, um, there's a Creole based on Assamese spoken in India, one based on a language which I'm probably going to find it difficult to pronounce because it's got a nasalized consonant, but I think it's Ngbandi, which is spoken in the Central African Republic, um, German-based Creole spoken in Papua New Guinea, and a Japanese-based Creole spoken in Taiwan. Mm, wow. There's also Creole spoken based on Arabic, Malay, and Spanish elsewhere, so... Loads of these languages. Yeah, geez, wow. I wouldn't have thought Germany went German went anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> that's well, true. Actually, Germany for were the first country to colonize Cameroon. Oh, oh. yeah, they they colonized in 1884, and they lost that colony after the First World War. Okay, which okay, is why so you've now got a French English dominant language system there. I'm surprised that's very recent for them to have lost the colony and then they that Creole didn't not um, survive, but that it's more French-English now. Yeah, so after the First World War, the country got sort of cut up and divided by France and England. And England, Britain, took the, took the edge um, next to Nigeria and it was all kind of one. And then France had the rest of the country. Um, but the Creole was already there because oh, okay. the English have been trading in that area since the 1600s. So okay. the Creole developed. And because the Germans moved a lot of people around for to put in work camps and so on, it kind of became this, this lingua franca that everyone used because oh, they, wow. they didn't necessarily... There's over 200 languages spoken in Cameroon, so... Oh, yeah. Wow. 
they needed a common form of communication. So again, the, the colonialism kind of created the the environment for that language. That's amazing. And usually it's funny because a lot of times, I mean, I think this and I'm starting to learn more about this, but that, you know, you think like the past, like, you know, the 17th century, there wasn't a lot, you think, oh, every, every culture was kind of isolated in their own countries and there wasn't a lot of like movement or even earlier than that, like the medieval period. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we were just talking about Norse mythology and like there was a lot of travel between the Norwegians and the Muslim countries. And it's, yeah. it's something that you don't really think about that there was, was that much right. like globalization, even way back that when, when they didn't have airplanes or... In- Genghis Khan yeah. left Mongolia and went all the way yes, to Iran. Exactly. So. Yes. <laughs> so I need to. Yeah. Yeah. If you, yeah. I don't know if you have, but if you, if you read up on the history of the spice trade, it's amazing. It's mm. fascinating. Oh, yeah. We should do an. We should do an episode on, on that. Spice trade. Definitely. Put it on the list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Right. So the other thing, the next thing I wanted to talk about was how they're related to other languages. So how they're related to the languages they get their words from, their lexifying languages, and also to each other. So historically, and actually not so historically, uh, the term pidgin has often been synonymous with broken. So mm. pidgin English is broken English quite often in people's yeah. minds. Yeah. That's a, yeah, that's kind of what I yeah, first associated yeah. with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's, that's still very much an attitude in a lot of places where these languages are spoken. Um, and it kind of comes partly, I think, from the general condescending colonial attitude mm. that <laughs> that was prevalent in the places where they they began. But also, I think, from a fundamental misunderstanding of how how these languages actually work. So if you're not if you don't know what's going on and you just hear the, the words of a language being used in a different way, it might sound broken. But they actually have grammatical systems that are quite different from the languages that they take their words from. So you wouldn't necessarily expect them to use those words in the same way because the grammar is different. Um, So despite having the vocabulary of mostly European languages, a Creole isn't necessarily or even generally that closely related to that European language in other ways. Okay. It's taken the vocabulary and run. Oh, okay. (laughs) So yeah. it's not it it they may take some words and vocabulary, but the grammar might be or like the syntax might be different. Yeah, very different sometimes. Um, and and also, and I, I in a little while I'm going to talk about some of the ways that they're different. Mm-hmm. But also, again, pretending that you heard the sound clear. <laughs> the, the, also, the phonetic systems or the phonology is quite different. The sounds and the way things are pronounced are quite different. Mm-hmm. So if you see a Creole language written down, for an English speaker that knows the grammatical rules, it's fairly easy to follow what's being said. Okay. But listening to it being spoken is a very different thing. Oh, sure. Because the pronunciation is so different. Um, So while they're quite different from their lexifying languages, they're often quite similar to each other. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. This, This is the case whether whatever the lexifying language is. So I'm mostly going to be concentrating on the Atlantic Creoles because those are the ones I'm familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you take Haitian French, um, Creole, sorry, Haitian French Creole grammar, it's quite similar to the grammar of Nigerian Pidgin English. Okay. Oh, wow. It's also okay. to the grammar of Cape Verdean Portuguese Creole. They have these, these grammatical systems that are really similar. And there's not one single explanation that's agreed upon for why that is. <laughs> wow. 
it's not just a case of European words, African grammar, because um, the trade in, in slaves occurred up and down the west coast of Africa. So there's a huge amount of linguistic variety mm-hmm. in the swathe of coast. Mm-hmm. There's not one African grammar that's sure. spoken. Um, there are some of these languages which will have come in contact with each other. So, for example, Cameroon Pidgin English is in a country that's right next door to where Nigerian Pidgin English is spoken. And those national borders are quite a new concept. So there would have been a sort of continuum along that coast of the variety uh, spoken. That makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So there you can see the influence. But at the same time, Top Piscine, which is a pidgin language or Creole language spoken in Papua New Guinea, also has a similar grammar. And there's no way <laughs> that those languages They're can nowhere near each other. No, absolutely not. No, no absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I hope. Yeah, no. (laughs) Um, So there has to be another explanation for why 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 these languages have such so many similarities. Um, The reasons why we don't know exactly why they are so similar is because of the kind of chaotic time in which they mostly developed. So if you think about it, they they arose in communities that had predominantly oral traditions and whose cultures had been fractured. Yeah. So they weren't keeping records. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> writing down this developing new language. Um, and at the same time, until the 19th century, the Europeans who, or predominantly Europeans, but I guess more, more accurately Westerners, who might have written these things down, weren't paying attention to what they thought of as broken speech. So yeah. they weren't interested in recording it either. So you get a few records here and there from people who either thought it was interesting or amusing and wrote down a few lines, but you rarely get a lot of information about the history of these languages written down. Mm. Um, there's various theories about why um, why these languages have similarities. Um, I would say that the, the sort of the, the time, period of time in which pigeons and creoles have been studied seriously is about 30 years. They have been, there's been, in, there've been linguists who've been interested in them since the Second World War when the field of linguistics kind of truly began. But I would say the last 30 years is kind of the time that most of the study has been done. That's very new. That's very new. That's younger than me. A new baby in the field of study. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Linguistics is a little bit anyway, but then pigeons and creoles, I'd say, is a bit newer than that. So in the 80s, the dominant theory was that adults, the first generation of adults created this pigeon and then their children took this language and needed to have a first language and developed it into a Creole kind of unconsciously, just naturally. And so in this explanation, the idea is, it's kind of a Chomsky idea that you've got the capacity for language as a human and the grammar of your language can be different depending on like a switch getting switched in your brain, if you like. So if it goes one way, your word order might be subject, verb, object. If it goes another, it might be object, verb, subject. It just depends on what what input you get. Mm-hmm. As to okay. what. So this theory says they didn't get a lot of input because it was this pidgin language. So the settings of their language would be like a default setting. Okay. And linguists got quite excited about this idea that you can kind of see the default settings of language in Creole languages. Oh, okay. Oh. All right. Yeah. 
but (laughs) (laughs) it's it's kind of a theory that's been for the most part um disallowed because of various issues with it so I mean there's a few firstly you don't necessarily have to have a pigeon stage and secondly a lot of creole languages take far longer than one generation to develop from a pigeon yeah that makes sense and then also the idea that these children would have had very limited linguistic input in the form of a pigeon doesn't really hold up if you think their parents would have been speaking their first languages to them they would have had various linguistic inputs Mm. i'm sure yeah yeah you know you're not as a parent going to speak just pigeon to your child if that's if you've got other things available. Right. So then another approach is the idea that these languages have, the the grammar of these languages come from what we call substrate influence. So the influence of the speaker's first languages. So in this case, predominantly African languages um, and that they contributed the grammar and the European languages contributed the words. Um, Most of these theories look at the idea of relexification, which is the idea of taking the words of one language and kind of putting it onto the grammar of another. Okay. Um, Which is, that's obviously a simplification, but there are some obvious issues, which I think I touched on a bit earlier with this theory, which is that, you know, you've got a stretch of coastline that's thousands of miles long. And as I said earlier, in the 200 miles of that coastline that is Cameroon, you've got 200 spoken languages. Yeah. So if you, if you multiply out, mm-hmm. that's a lot of language. And they're not all mutually intelligible by any means, even within, you know, a small area of Cameroon, let alone along the whole coast of West Africa. So you kind of have to ask, well, which languages yeah, exactly. were And the slave traders were often going out of their way to separate groups of people with the same language because it meant that they had a lot less chance of rebellion and... Sure mutiny Mm -hmm. so you're likely to have had very multilingual situations so it it can give you an idea of what might have happened but not how it happened if that makes Mm -hmm. sense yeah exactly yeah um so currently um a popular theory is that it might be to do with the way that we learn second languages okay which i should probably mention is one of the theories that i'm testing (laughs) so cool cool Cutting edge. Um, I'm enjoying this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the basic idea is that when we when we learn languages as adults, we we do it in really predictable ways. Even if we're taught in different ways, we'll still pretty much learn the language in quite a set order. Yeah. Um, basic vocabulary. Yeah. Counting yeah. to ten. <laughs> Swear words. Yes. Uh, in the alphabet. Yeah. And then we go to verb tense. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the, the the groups, the early groups that would have developed these languages, would have had the motivation to learn to a point where they could communicate in a functional way, but they probably wouldn't have had a lot of motivation for being fluent mm-hmm, in sure. English or Dutch or French, and they probably also would have had limited contact with the language in its sort of standardised form, mm-hmm. because you're not spending all day every day with your boss yeah right one of a better way of putting it possibly your captor might be a better way of putting it um so when you have new speakers coming into this environment their motivation would probably be to learn the pidgin rather than the european language because that is the way you the way that you can operate in that circumstance to kind of communicate with your peer group as opposed to 
the yeah a different group of people mm-hmm. around you yeah exactly yeah um so in that case the grammar that was developed early on would probably get set quite quickly mm-hmm. because you've got this new group coming in and they're not trying to add any more english grammar or french grammar into the mix they're going okay this is how it is i'm going to learn it yeah as is so that's one of the ideas about kind of more the mechanisms behind bringing some African grammar in and some English or French vocabulary in and and how these languages mix. But as with any theoretical approach to this kind of subject, it's it's absolutely impossible to prove. (laughs) Sure, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It will always be a theory Mm -hmm. unless we build a time machine. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And then I think we should probably have other priorities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know, for sure. (laughs) Killing Hitler, one. (laughs) Absolutely. Then we find out about the language. Yes, yes. Number two on the priority list. That's fine. (laughs) Um, So in terms of the structure of these languages, and this is the bit where I go into grammar, so hold on to your hats, but (laughs) I keep it straightforward. I think grammar is amazing. I know it's not a popular perspective, so... (laughs) It's yeah, um, no, I think we have like a significant amount of people that like once they're super like especially in the trivia world and oh stuff like that, they just love grammar and oh, vocabulary mm, and correct people are you. eating this up, Sarah. <laughs> Great. My people. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, not not all Creole grammars obviously have exactly the same grammar. It's mm. not exactly the same grammar with different words. But there are some features that are really considered prototypical and I'm going to go through a few of those just to give you a picture of what's different about them in compared to say in comparison to French or English. Um, so one of the most common features of Creole languages is a lack of morphology, which is basically a word changing shape to give grammatical meaning. Okay. okay. So for example, in English, you take a noun like table, which is singular. And if you want to add the meaning of plural or more than one, you add an S to the end. So you get tables. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yes. Um, cool. Awesome. <laughs> we got that one. Yeah, done. <laughs> I thought you would. <laughs> um, most Creole languages don't use morphology to make plurals because they don't use morphology for very much. And instead, they add a separate word either before or after the noun to show that it's there's more than one of the thing. So in Cameroon Pigeon English, you'd say table or table maybe. But to make it more than one, you say table them. Oh. Okay. So it's not um, it's not a changing of the word itself. It's actually like an addition of different outside modifiers, basically. Exactly. Okay, great. Yeah. Mm, yeah. English major over here. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. So. so. Yeah. <laughs> You're doing amazing. Great. Thank you. Um, so you do that with any noun. So we in English you'd say man and then men in Cameroon Pigeon you'd say man mandem. Okay. In in English you'd say child children and in Cameroon Pigeon English you'd say picking which is the word for child or picking dem. Okay, I see. Okay. Yeah. So in each case the noun stays in its singular form and the plural word is added, um, which in many ways I would argue is a more sensible system than English um, because. <laughs> yeah. If you think about the words that I've just given, there are three different ways of creating plurals in English. Yep. So you've got the S ending, which is kind of the standard, but you can also change the shape of the vowel, change the vowel in the word man, men, or you can add that EN ending, child, children, yeah. which isn't common. I think it's a hangover from Scandinavian, old Scandinavian. Sure. 
maybe Old English. It's been a while. It's a hangover from Old English. Brethren and Oxen, I think. Oh, oh sure. Okay. okay. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. There's, there's so much. It's amazing we learned it. Bing, bing. Just like there's a lot of stuff like just firing in my brain right now. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, oh, oh my god, I had oh, no okay. idea. Yeah, <laughs> I had a friend. So I did my undergraduate degree at Sussex as well, and I had a friend that spent the whole of our degree just having that exact reaction. That makes so much sense. <laughs> That's fun. You know, it's every great. day is just a joy, a joy of learning. <laughs> That's great. I envy her. <laughs> do a linguistics degree. Yeah, yeah. yeah there you go. Um, so yeah, morphology is also used in English to, um, give us information about verbs. So we change the shape of verbs to provide information about when something happened or the duration. So for example, if you take a verb like jump and you add ed to the end, you put it in the past. So I jump, I jumped. Mm -hmm. If you add ing, then you get, I am jumping. And that tells us that the action is ongoing and has, is happening now. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's, it's duration and time. Um, again, Creole languages don't do that. They use a collection of small words that they put in front of the verb to give you that information. So in Cameroon Pidgin English, the word waka means walk. So if you want to say I walk, you say I waka. If you want to say I walk in the past, I be waka. If you want to say I, I am going to walk, or not I'm going to walk, sorry, I will walk, uh, you say I go waka. Um, if you make it, you want to make it something that's happening now and has duration, so I am walking, you say adiwaka. If you want to make it something that's completed, so I have walked, adonwaka. Um, you can also express modality, so amoswaka means I must walk, afitwaka means I can walk. Um, and if you want to negate the verb, if you want to make it negative, you can add a negative word. So it's a no waka. Wow. So, um, so what I'm getting, so what I'm getting from these modifiers is that they're kind of like s- simple, um, simple descriptors like no or um, I done like as in like I have done type of thing. Okay. So th- am I? This is something that's true. I'm yeah. not making this up in my brain. No, no, no. You're absolutely right. Those those words have developed from the English words no and the English word done. Mm -hmm. And probably fit is probably from to be fit to, to be able to. I would need to check that. So, um, so yeah, you're absolutely right that, that these are English words that have developed into something more grammatical in, in Cameroon Pigeon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and you can also stack those words. So if you want to say, I'm not going to walk, you can say, I no go waka. And if you wanted to say, I had been walking, so a perfective past meaning, you can say, I done di waka. Okay. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> this is like, um, I took French for probably eight years and I learned more about like English grammar mm-hmm. from taking French, like all the different like verb tenses yep. and all the different like little things in a sentence and all that stuff. I feel like I never learned the English terms for any of these things, but then like in French class, it was like, Oh, you're learning like passe composé and imparfait and pluperfect and all this Mm -hmm. stuff. And it's like, nobody taught me this. No, you just know how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's crazy. That's how I 
became interested in linguistics actually through trying to learn French and just being like I have no idea about my own language this was never told to me so yeah <laughs> I started studying math instead and I still can't speak French so <laughs> <laughs> me neither it's okay Sarah <laughs> I'll get there eventually yeah um so yeah, again, as with the pluralization, I would argue that this is a much more straightforward system than we have in English. So in English, we sometimes use morphology, like the ed endings for the past, but we sometimes also add another word. So if you think about it, when we form the future, we say, I will walk. So that's a whole separate word that we're adding in there. And sometimes we do both. So I am walking. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're yeah. Adding ed ending, but you're also adding that verb am in, in front of it. Whereas in Creole, it's, it's just straightforward. You just add these words. Um, another common feature of Creole languages is the use of something called serial verb constructions. And this is something we don't have very much in European languages. So it's where you take two separate verbs and combine them to make a sort of compound verb, but it has a slightly different meaning to the, the two verbs on their own. Okay. okay. So in English, when we conv- combine verbs, we always combine them with and. So I will come and give you something. Mm-hmm. And those verbs retain the meaning of, um, they, they retain a kind of sequential meaning. So first I will come and then I will give, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yes. Um, you can do that in Cameroon Pigeon, or you can take out the and and make this this serial verb construction and say, a come give. And that means something more like bring. Okay. Oh, okay. So it combines the two meanings. <laughs> Lauren's eyes are just like <laughs> oh my gosh you're giving me a lot to chew on today Sarah Good. <laughs> I have a bridal shower to go to after this and I'm just going to be like guys do you know anything about linguistics hold on serial <laughs> verb construction oh my god sit down I gotta tell you this stuff <laughs> good I, I also, uh, I was going to say bore people at parties. That is not the way to put it. I blow no. people's minds at parties. There you <laughs> right. go. Yes. Yes. Although most of the parties I'm now invited to tend to be full of linguists. So they're less impressed. <laughs> so you got to like find something to one up, one up people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're like, well, I'm studying this. Do you know anything about this? <laughs> you do still get people going, oh, I learned this really cool fact. Um yeah, so, so serial verb constructions don't really get them in European languages very much. You do get them in many African languages. Okay. So there's a sort of fairly direct link that suggests that the, some of the grammar at least is coming from the, the languages that the people originally spoke as first languages, which you would expect. Okay, you know? yeah. yeah. Um, so that's kind of where they are and how, they, how they're structured. And I wanted to talk a bit about how they're used and thought about today in, in the modern world. Because mm-hmm. obviously most of what we've talked about is sort of how they came about in two or 300 years ago. Mm-hmm. So the idea that the language is a bro- uh, broken or bad hasn't gone away. Um, it has in some places, but not everywhere. So in Cameroon, for example, because obviously <laughs> that's, that's where I know about, um, the pidgin is still really quite heavily stigmatized. And it's often considered an uneducated or lazy version of English. Um, and that's quite common across many Creole languages. Hawaiian Creole is still very heavily stigmatized. Um, and until quite recently, Gullah was, Gullah speakers were quite often ridiculed and stigmatized, although that's been changing. So after the, over the last 20 years or so, there's been a real push to celebrate and preserve Gullah, which right. is really nice to see. Um, 
even when the languages aren't overtly stigmatized, they're really rarely the languages used in politics or law or education. And in fact, they're, they're rarely official languages in the countries where they're spoken. Um, but there has been a shift in some places. Um, so in Papua New Guinea, Tokpisin, which is the English-based Creole spoken there, is an official language of the country. Um, and it's actually often used in parliamentary debate. Oh, wow, um, okay. Yeah. It's in Sierra Leone, Creole, which is the local Creole language, isn't an official language, but it is used in primary school instruction and it's used quite often by politicians um, to make speeches. Okay. Kind yeah. of like get appealing to the people, to the populace. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then in Nigeria, there seems to be quite a big move at the moment towards sort of celebrating and legitimizing the language. People, it's used a lot in, in Nollywood films. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, in uh, it's used a lot in music, actually in in Cameroon as well, and probably other places. But these these are the places I know of. So yeah, it, it's it's used a lot in rap, um, rap music particularly. So it, it's definitely it's definitely moving towards being celebrated, but mm-hmm. it's a journey in in many places. Um, they're used in various ways, but they are still predominantly oral languages. So most Creole languages have no official spelling system. Okay. Quite often, the first use of them in a written form is Bible translations. Oh, that makes um, sense, yeah. <laughs> so you, you will find, if you if you Google pidgin or Creole and Bible translation, you'll find all sorts of things online. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. there's, there's a lot out there. Um, but they are really used widely in informal settings. So they use a lot on social media, all over Twitter, if oh, you know sure, where to yeah. Um, and they're also used increasingly on radio. So it, depending on where it is officially or unofficially. So in Cameroon, all of the state radio is in English or French, but there are lots and lots of unofficial radio stations that broadcast in Pidgin. Same in Nigeria, um, and Jamaica and Sierra Leone. So, yeah. So I I guess the the language of the people in a way. Yeah. Yeah, And so they're like actively keeping it alive then Mm -hmm. in that way. Yeah. Most, not all, but most of these languages are thriving. Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's also used by the BBC. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> How about that? They, yeah, they launched a pigeon version of their uh, world service, world service online service um, in 2017. Um, so it's it's primarily to serve Cameroon, Nigeria, and Ghana, which have closely related pigeon varieties so yeah that's really cool we'll have to yeah we'll have to check that out Mm -hmm. i get a lot of my news on facebook via bbc pigeon because you can follow them (laughs) (laughs) and it's quite nice because it's world service you get a different perspective so obviously there's a big a big focus on africa and what's happening there but also more widely in the world it's odd to see Brexit in, in Pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. Oh, my God. So strange. But in many ways, more pleasant. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's oh, my gosh. That's so cool. Yeah. I definitely recommend checking that out. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's out there that these languages are being used. Um, so the other thing, obviously, that, that happens with these languages, apart from being spoken, is that they are researched by people like me mm-hmm. um, and people not so like me. And I wanted to talk a bit about that as well, because I thought that might be quite quite interesting to know what people do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so the, I think one thing that's really important to talk about is 
that these languages result from the slave trade and colonialism. Mm -hmm. And the people who created these languages had their own languages yeah. right. before these languages were created. Um, in West Africa, which is obviously where the language I study comes from, and many Creole languages are spoken, there are thousands of indigenous languages. And just like with the Creoles, most of them don't have official status for, the, for use in educational government. So usually it's the, the kind of the colonial languages, um, so usually English, French or Portuguese that are official languages, not everywhere, but in many African countries. And pidgins serve a sort of social function and as the language of trade, which leaves these indigenous languages kind of hanging. Yeah, <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so there's quite a lot of language endangerment and language death going on, I mean, all over the world, mm -hmm. but obviously Africa is primarily where my research is focused. Um, and it's a place where there is a lot of language death. Um, and in an ideal world, I guess we would be fighting to sort of support or at the very least record mm. these languages before they disappear. But for a number of reasons, I mean, there are definitely linguists out there doing that, which is fantastic. Um, but there's generally a lack of funding for that kind of work. Yeah. There's also generally a lack of kind of governmental support, not always, but in many places um, for that kind of, um, research and sometimes there's simply a lack of speakers if you've only got two people that still speak a language it can be difficult to get to them to yeah. record it and and impossible to support it to 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 become a, a widely spoken language again right. so when you're researching creole languages you have to sort of think about well, why am why is it i'm researching a creole language and not trying to get in and, and save these endangered languages that have kind of been pushed out in some cases by the Creole languages. Um, but I think there is a strong case to be made for studying Creole languages, partly because they can tell us things about how languages develop, but also because in their own right, they are part of the culture of the places that they're spoken. Right. However they came about, they are still how culture, quite often how culture is is disseminated in their countries, if, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Another thing I wanted to mention in relation to studying Creole languages is that not all linguists agree that we should study them as something separate and in interesting. So separate from the European languages that they develop from, I guess. But there's an idea that we shouldn't do this. Um, firstly, kind of, so it's a complex argument. Right. <laughs> to boil it down, it comes down to kind of two things. One is that they say they, they believe there's nothing particularly unique about the way the Creoles develop. So they tend to argue against a pigeon stage and see these languages as sort of developmental continuation from the European languages they got their languages, the, they got their words from. Mm -hmm. okay. So they're saying there wasn't this kind of break in transmission and then a new language emerged. It was a gradual evolution yeah continuation yeah that it's like yeah. slang or i don't know just stuff morphed out of it rather than it yeah. being its own a new thing yeah, well, yeah. languages languages do always change i mean if you if you read shakespeare yeah mm -hmm. it's very different from <laughs> i don't know reading facebook today <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> so we we do see a continuous development in language anyway and the other thing the other part of the argument is that the desire to sort of categorize these languages as a unique group is a sort of post-colonial hangover, which could be considered quite racist. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. 
Obviously, this isn't my viewpoint, (laughs) but I thought I should mention it. Um, In terms of whether or not they're a unique family of languages, um, there have been some studies in the past 10 years that have borrowed a statistical approach that's used in biology to categorize groups into families or phyla or whatever it is they think. Mm -hmm. I'm not a biologist, (laughs) but whatever it is they group things into. Um, And they basically do that based on statistical similarities between features. I think. (laughs) Um, And some studies have been done using this software. And when you do that, Creole languages form a group that is separate both from the languages they take their vocabulary from and also more generally from language, other other languages, which isn't to say that they're not, that they're amazingly unique and distinct, just that they group together. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they are not in a language family. So if you do this, you'll get sort of the Indo, the, the European languages grouping together into their language families. And you'll get the African languages grouping together into their, their, their language families. And then you'll get this separate language family that is Creole languages. So there's statistical evidence suggesting that these are a group that can be studied as a sort of interesting phenomenon in and of themselves. That makes perfect um, sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We support you. Yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> and I think particularly given how geographically dispersed these these languages oh, yeah. are, that's that's quite a good quite a good indicator. And then in terms of whether or not it's racist to study them, um I would say that the evidence that they do form a family is sufficient to say that probably isn't why we're studying them, but but setting that aside, I think it is really important that researchers are aware of the history of the people and the languages and the cultures they study. So we should examine, you know, what perspective we're coming at our research with. And it's really easy to isolate your subject matter and just study the words or just study the grammar and not think about where they came from. So I think it's particularly as an English person who studies a language that came out of the slave trade, I think it's really important that I try and understand what that means and to examine my attitudes and motivations as I work. But I think that claiming that studying Creoles is a form of colonialism is mostly, it it seems to be based on the idea that linguists who study these languages come at them from the concept that they're simple and somehow inferior. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. So taking that, uh, that prevailing attitude of that these are, it's, it's not in its own language, it's broken English and therefore not worth. Yeah, or even, even saying that they form a group is saying they are different from other languages. I see, okay. Theory. So, yeah, so I think I think that's the idea, that, that saying that they are separate is somehow othering them as a language. I see, okay. Rather than just saying, well, they kind of kind of group together. <laughs> yeah. Which is how I would see it. Um, and um, most linguists that I know come at all languages from the perspective that they're interesting. Yeah, right. Yeah, sure. And the idea of something being good or bad language is something that we're actually kind of fundamentally opposed to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's trained out of you very quickly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People always expect me to be a grammar Nazi and I'm just going, oh, it's, it's interesting that you did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, so this is a little off topic, but I'm always, I'm always surprised by this, especially like on social media and like grammar Nazis and this whole thing, is that there's so often people are like, well, that's not a word like selfie or influencer. And granted, these are like social media, like origin words. But my argument has always been, and I've always been have, have, I've uh, being an English major from way back, have a very liberal mind about um, new words and word 
morphology and the way that words are created and disseminated and how their meanings change. So sure. Selfie is a word like people use that word and it's going to be something that's for all intents and purposes studied in the future is like this word was never used before, you know, the mid two thousands. And that's amazing. You know, that's kind of a cool thing. And it tells our history as English speakers and how English is, I mean, English specifically, not that any other language isn't like this, but how English is very modifiable in its own way, gerunds and like moving words around and compounding words and all this fun stuff. I just love that stuff. (laughs) And related to that, um, last year I read um, Corey Stamper's Word by Word, The Secret Life of Dictionaries. And holy crap, that was such a great book. So (laughs) she worked for um, one of the major dictionary companies in the US. And what they did was kind of like comb back through newspaper articles and books and all this stuff to find out like when was the first time that this word was used like in a written language and you know did has the meaning changed over time and like you know maybe so maybe you start out with a word that was published in a newspaper in 1780 but by 1940 it had a totally different meaning and so like kind of adding meanings to things it's great it's so cool it's great so (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean like like and this idea of words that are for dumb people like like Mm-mm. teenagers or you know like words like yeet or hype beast or that yeah oh. i know you're like rolling your eyes at that <laughs> because that's what because that's what teenagers use or like well i'd like to know what it means first before you call me a hype beast okay <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing it's a good thing <laughs> probably <laughs> so like this this like hierarchy of language is like fascinating to me that if the word origin is from the young or or a minority group or, uh, you know, based in a, in another language or another like lexicon, it's considered not intelligent or not a real word, which is amazing to me. That that is a pretty ancient cycle. So, um, if you look back at people commenting on language in the 1700s, they'll be saying exactly the same thing. So I think, I think it was around then that ing endings on verbs started to be Uh used regularly. Um, and you had people deploring this this use of walking or <laughs> <laughs> this is this is a very vague memory from a history of english class a long time ago so any linguists out there that are like what is she saying <laughs> but yeah you, you always you always see this sort of this cycle of young people or minority groups will create a language that is useful to them in part because they want to sort of have something that's their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it will filter through to older people and they'll go, what is this? It's deplorable. And then it will become normal. And then it will go into the dictionary, whatever that yeah, is. Exactly. <laughs> and then, you know, 20 years later, these same young people who created these words will be looking at their children going, what are they doing? It's terrible. <laughs> and it always has been, and it always will be. <laughs> that's yeah. comforting at least. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so so that's that is as I say the first thing that they train you to do as a linguist is just to go, hmm, that's really interesting. I wonder why they're doing that. Just <laughs> <laughs> very diplomatic. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, I mean, it, it also is a great way to to learn. Yeah. If you're asking instead of saying why are you doing that, if you say why are you doing that, yeah. you're going to find out a lot more. So, mm. yeah. Um, so yeah, this idea that the, the attitude towards Creoles from linguists is somehow condescending, I fundamentally disagree with. Apart from anything else, as I've already said, I think that 
you know, there are elements of Creole grammar that, that are more simple than English grammar in as much as there is less complex morphology. Right. Yeah. But I don't think that makes it a less valuable language. If anything, it's kind of more sensible. Yes. <laughs> I obviously I find morphology fascinating and really yeah. interesting. Don't want to don't want anyone to think I don't like morphology. <laughs> Heaven um, forbid. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't I don't have statistics on it, but I I expect that most linguists don't subscribe to the idea that researching Creoles are bad. But the idea is out there, and actually, a linguist called John John McWhorter, who you may have heard of, he's an American linguist who studies pigeons and Creoles. He has a pod cast that off the top of my head I can't remember the name of but he's he's just written an entire book basically arguing against the idea that studying creoles is bad so oh that's good (laughs) check that out yeah it's it's very much written for linguists I've seen a few reviews by people who weren't linguists (laughs) who read it and they were like oh it's quite academic (laughs) 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 just but just fair warning it's it's not like a it's not a beachside read (laughs) okay good to know yeah so the last thing I was gonna talk about was a little bit more about studying them and some current projects that I think are really interesting about how to approach the study so um I am it's going to be really biased (laughs) that's okay good um I'm a big advocate of corpus linguistics which is taking a big body of texts that are machine readable and um finding out about language through the data that's available in there, mm-hmm. because I like to have evidence for claims about language. Um, there are some branches of linguistics that will be more introspective, but personally, I think the more the more data we, we can gather, mm. the more realistic the research we're doing is. Um, so like I said, a corpus is a collection of texts that can be read using specialist software. So it could be written texts like books and newspapers, um, spoken texts that are transcribed, um, or texts from things like Twitter or chat rooms from online sources. So I don't know, have you ever used Google Ngrams? No. Oh, I don't think I know what that is. You should. <laughs> it's a service from Google that uses Google Books as a corpus. So you can go to Google Ngrams and type in words or phrases, and it will track those words or phrases through Google Books over time. Oh. Prepare one or more words or phrases and uh-huh. see how being used in comparison to each other oh my god that's very cool that's very cool (laughs) (laughs) definitely do that um yeah so corpus projects can be really quick and easy or they can be very difficult and long-winded depending on what kind of texts you're gathering for your corpus um, and how many words you need to collect and what it is you're looking to research so spoken corpora um are the most time consuming because you need to record speech, transcribe speech and so on. But they're also really, really useful because they give you information about how we use language most frequently. Sure. But most of our communication is still spoken. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's there's not a lot of Creole corpora, full stop, even a few are spoken corpora, but there are a few that are in the pipeline. So I thought I'd mention them. There's currently a really exciting project to build a corpus of Nigerian pidgin English, which I think is being undertaken by Nigerian and British researchers. So that should be pretty cool. Should tell us a lot about Nigerian pidgin. Um, I also recently read about an interesting one being undertaken by some German researchers on, I think it's called Unserdeutsch, <laughs> which is spoken in Papua New Guinea and Australia, but it's it's one of the Creoles that isn't thriving. It's dying. Oh. Um so there's about 100 speakers in Australia and about 10 in Papua New Guinea, and they're trying to record as much speech as they can before it disappears completely. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. That's 
obviously a German, German-based Creole. Um, and then there was a project that I was involved with as an undergrad to build a corpus of Cameroon Pidgin English, um, hence my involvement in yeah. Cameroon. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a result of cal- collaboration between academics in the UK and Cameroon. Um, and all of the texts were spoken texts that were transcribed. Um, so the text came from all over Cameroon. So you get this really nice variety of different dialects and of the language. And it was a pilot project and quite small. Um, and the researchers who include my PhD supervisor are currently planning a much larger project to collect a million words using the same model. Um, And again, that will involve collaboration between Cameroonian academics and UK academics. Um, And any researchers that are interested in that, the pilot data is all available in the Oxford Text Archive for free. So definitely check that out. That's cool. Awesome. A million words. That's, (laughs) That's daunting. Yeah, it is daunting. Yeah. But you know what? It's not that large. <laughs> wow. Oh yeah. So, so to get a really representative sample of speech, they reckon you need about a million words mm-hmm. as a minimum. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah. So we'll look. So I think that's what I've what I've got to tell you. <laughs> that's amazing. That's incredible. Thank you so much, Sarah. <laughs> I am. My mind is blown. I feel. I feel smarter and also dumber at the same time. <laughs> So thank you so and much. That's our goal here. No. <laughs> that's our goal. That's our goal here to be both smarter and and be reminded of how little we knew to begin with. Sounds like my life in academia. Yeah, yeah, that's a hundred percent true. Oh my goodness. Oh gosh. So have you prepared a quiz for today? I have. <gasps> oh, I'm so excited. It's going to be great. Okay. I originally thought about um, working on sort of puns of pigeon in Creole and trying to do something on birds and Louisiana culture. And I decided I didn't really know enough about either. That's fine. That's fine. But uh, you know what? I commend you for the effort. Yeah. <laughs> it was a thought. <laughs> so instead, you've got a quiz on language stuff that I think is interesting. And that can be the title, if you like. Language right, stuff that I think is interesting. Fantastic. Okay. So are you ready? Yes. Right. Cool. So question one. This bird has many names. In India, it's called Peru. In Arabic, it's a Greek chicken. In Greece, it's a French chicken. In France, it's an Indian chicken. It is not indigenous to any of these places. What is its English name? Okay, question two. There are many language families in Europe. Romance languages like French and Italian. Slavic languages like Polish and Slovakian. Germanic languages like Dutch and Norwegian, and Uralic languages like Hungarian and Finnish. To which language family does English belong? One of the things that makes Shakespeare sound so old-fashioned these days is his use of thou and thee, as in this charming quote from Quince in A Midsummer Night's Dream. Bless thee, bottom, bless thee, thou art translated. But what is the distinction between thee, thou, versus you? Question four, on which continent are the most languages spoken? And for a bonus point, which continent has the most languages per capita? It is not the same. This is question five. What is the difference between a language and a dialect? Question six. If you've never spent a few happy hours on Wikipedia, on the Wikipedia page that lists collective nouns used for animals, then your life is incomplete. You've probably heard of a murder of crows, but what does the page list as the appropriate collective terms to use for the following animals? 
A. Bats B. Eels C. Grasshoppers and D. Seagulls Number seven. What is the most frequently used word in the English language? Question eight. There are many ways of communicating language via symbols. You're probably most familiar with an alphabetic writing system. But what is the name for the use of symbols which represent a single word used to write languages like Chinese? Question nine. I have it on good authority that Americans are using a lot more Britishisms these days. Which of these words is not from British English, but in fact a purely American invention? A. Telly B. Bumbershoot C. Chuffed D. Gobsmacked E. Kerfuffle And finally, question 10. Where do we get our English names for the days of the week? We'll give everybody a minute to think and then we'll be back with their answers. I'm feeling good about this. I'm feeling really good. I don't need to do all kind of bolo, the tea no do what mango do send a high. You mango we corn in the corner, the show mango come on and she don't so. We all man up put all it over your head, and you wanna say you send a high. Then don't pay the card ever cut it, look you say grind, you go levy na so now for day, you don't bat. Now for day, you don't bat. Now for day, you go no say you day, you not you, you want. No manga your back. But you see me so I don't trust me the people them I don't trust me the people Grang I know the people and people won't mimbo They don't care if he lands on a beach over give them a mimbo Went in any bad, all in the finish Get me the enter, all money vanish Head on the open, I don't declare Till I go do one but man give up fear I know fit I go then I left the caco I go start to unleash a po and say bago Carry that TV, carry that deck Rap it like a pen and take a mo bato Oh, don't get me mo go Don't get me mo go all right. Cool. Okay. Lay it on us. I think I think we're doing pretty good. All right. That's good. I'm glad. I wasn't sure whether I pitched it well or not. And I, I went through it with my boyfriend, but he has spent quite a lot of time around me. So a <laughs> <laughs> little biased. Yeah. Okay. So question one, this bird has many names. In India, it's called Peru. In Arabic, it's a Greek chicken. In Greece, it's a French chicken. And in France, it's an Indian chicken. It is not indigenous to any of these places. What is its English name? I'm guessing a turkey. Oh, okay. I was going to say just chicken. <laughs> um, we'll go with your answer. Is it turkey? Is it turkey? It is turkey, nice. yes. Yay! <laughs> turkey, it's actually called Hindi, meaning from India. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> oh, cool. Wow. So obviously no one knew where it came from. <laughs> Question two. To which language family does English belong? Is it Germanic? I think it's Germanic. Is it Germanic? It is Germanic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A, a lot of people think it's a Romance language because so many of the words come from French, but mm. at its core, it's a Germanic language. Yeah. Nice. Um, one of the things that makes Shakespeare sound so old-fashioned these days is his use of thou and thee. But what was the distinction between the thou versus you? I'm going to let my English major friend <laughs> take over this one. So I have, I have two thoughts. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> So I, um, it's either 
thee and thou were like um like uh spoken by the higher classes and you was more of a uh, populist term or i thought it was uh, the th is a thorn which looks like a which looks like a y with an e like superscript or o u superscript um so uh is it either one of those answers <laughs> <laughs> not exactly okay. you were close to the first answer so okay. e and thou was the familiar and you oh. was the polite so like vu and <gasps> like two vu and two. so i had it backwards yeah so, I see. so the more familiar version actually fell out of use and so we're super polite to everyone oh, these days. <laughs> oh, <that nice. laughs> oh Um, question four on which continent are the most languages spoken and bonus point if you can tell me which continent has the most languages per capita okay well i'm thinking okay that one of the for one of the answers it's africa and for the other answer it's asia but i don't know how which order they should go um i mean she did say that there are 200 languages spoken in cameroon Cameroon alone so um (laughs) i think i think your instinct is I'm going to go with that. So most languages, Africa, and then per capita, Asia. Asia? Other way around. Uh, really? Okay. Oh, okay. All right. Well, we picked pick the right two continents. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Question five. What is the difference between a language and a dialect? I think a dialect is a regional f- form of a language. Yeah. That's what my thought was. Okay, it's not a bad answer, okay. but this was kind of a trick question. Oh, <laughs> damn. The short answer is politics. Oh. Okay. So if you look at Italian dialects, a lot of them aren't mutually intelligible. Okay. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you look at separate languages like Slovak and Czech, mm-hmm. they are. Oh. So there's an old joke, which is a language is a dialect with an army and a navy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I wow. love that. Oh my god! I gosh. love that. <laughs> but, but, but your answer is accurate in as much as that's what mostly we use it to mean. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Um, so then we've got the uh, collective nouns used for animals. <sighs> We're usually and very good at things like this. And I, I, the only one I know is the last. Anyway, continue. <laughs> right. The first one is bats. Um, is it a bell? Nope. That's uh, belfry? Where they live. Nope. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's a belfry. <laughs> I wish it's a belfry. <laughs> I know. Wouldn't that be funny? Uh, uh, like a team or uh, like a uh, clutch. <laughs> nope. Those are eggs. Um, uh, a, a, a barrel of bats. A barrel of bats. We're going with a barrel. <laughs> a barrel of bats. It's a colony. A colony. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. <laughs> The one that like makes the most oh, sense. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. It makes sense once you can see it. Yeah. <laughs> once you know it, it's logical. Uh, B was eels. Um, school. A school? A school? A knot? Maybe a knot of a eels? Knot. Okay. Great. A knot? A knot of eels. It's a bed. A bed, bed of eels. Uh, you do oh. not want to get in there. <laughs> nope, not a bed of eels. You know what I was going to say? A spaghetti of eels, which I know isn't right, but I thought that'd be really funny. <laughs> That's probably like a translation somewhere yeah, yeah. along the in, way. In Italy, it's called a spaghetti of eels. Got to do this when you say it. <laughs> uh, C was grasshoppers. Um, like an invasion or a... 
right lines, a kind swarm. of. A swarm, a swarm. Um, Close. Ah. Right. Uh, uh, another, uh, that's another synonym for swarm or invasion. Uh, uh, oh God. Infection. Uh, <laughs> that's a plague. A plague. A plague. Is it a plague? No, it's a cloud. A cloud, cloud of grass. Yeah. The These are really there. making me feel gross. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. It's all right. It's all right. And finally, seagulls. Is it a flock? It's flock. No. <gasps> it's a what? A squabble. A squabble. Why did that band uh, lie to us? That band lied to us. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I, have to, I have to say... These are very specifically from that Wikipedia page. Okay. No, we believe you. <laughs> yeah, That's, no, I, yeah, no, I'm it's sure you fun could to learn. Say a flock of seagulls, and people would know exactly what you were talking about, <laughs> exactly. and wouldn't correct you. It's <laughs> obvious what they listed. So no, that's what you can talk about at the bridal shower. You can say it's not called a flock of seagulls. It's a squabble, and then no one will want to sit with me. <laughs> Which Especially is ideal. Especially when you tell them that your source is Wikipedia. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> Okay, question seven was, what is the most frequently used word in the English language? I thought it was I, but now I'm questioning. Is it and it's the? It is the. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we got three. <laughs> okay. Um, so the next question, question eight, was what is the name for the use of symbols which represent a single word used to write languages such as Chinese? Is it a character? Kanji is the word that was sticking in my head. A glyph. Something a glyph. about a glyph. All right. No, I don't know. No. Okay. We don't Logograph. know. Logograph. Logograph. I wasn't that makes get sense. That. <laughs> I wasn't going to get that. Yeah. Like word picture. Yes. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Word picture. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, number nine was, I have it on good authority that Americans are using a lot more Britishisms these days. Which of these words is not from British English, but an American invention? And the, the options were telly. Bumbershoot, chuffed, gobsmacked, and kerfuffle. I think kerfuffle. I, you know, my, although if I ever heard anyone say bumbershoot, <laughs> I'd slap them straight in the face. They get their perambulator. Yes. <laughs> and they put up their bumbershoot. Do you, uh, bumbershoot is not, it couldn't possibly be real. Who says bumbershoot in England? Does anyone say bumbershoot? We say brawly. Bra- yes, brawly, because that makes sense. Calls it a bumbershoot. Yes. I'm going to agree with you. I think it's kerfuffle. We think it's, you think it's kerfuffle? Yes. <gasps> it's bumbershoot. Ah! <laughs> if you said that, you, I was you tricked trick. by our own bumbershoot. <laughs> I bet that was like, I imagine that that origin was like from uh, like a parody, like some, <laughs> some American was like, oh, you know what the British say? Bumbershoot. It's actually like, yeah, it's Monty yeah. Python yeah. only or something. <laughs> yeah. So, This information I got from an awesome book, um, which is called The Prodigal Tongue. And it was written by Lynn Murphy, who's an American linguist who works at the University of Sussex. But it's a it's a book that is very much written for a general audience. And I would definitely recommend checking it out. But Bumbershoot is a purely American invention. If you said to an English person, what do you do with a Bumbershoot? They would be like, I don't know, stab someone. (laughs) We we wouldn't know that it was an umbrella. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, yes, I great. I would be right in, in yeah. slapping someone and be like, that's not a word. Yeah. <laughs> not speaking American. Yes. Yeah. Those Americanisms. Oh, that's amazing. Huh. 
And I watch a lot of British TV. (laughs) It was very much invented as a joke, joke British word or something that sounded like a British person would say. Yeah, exactly. As you said. Um, And finally, question 10 was, where do we get our English names for the days of the week? Um, From ancient mythological gods. Which one? uh, So you've got Saturn. Uh, yeah, you've got. Um, uh, well, hold on, let me go in the right order. So, uh, mm, you got uh, Tuda from uh, Norse mythology for Tuesday. Yeah. You have Odin, Odin for Wednesday. You have yeah. Thor for Thursday. Yeah. You have Freya or Frigg for Friday. You have Perfect. Saturn for Saturday, and then I think the Sun Sunday. for Sunday. Yeah, Sun for Sunday and Moon for Monday. Moon for Monday. That's it. That's yeah. the one I forgot. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Great. Well done. Thanks to Mythology May. That was so great, Sarah. Sarah, thank you so much for being on the show. This was so good. This was a joy. Thank you so much. Do you have anything you'd like to plug? Not at the moment. No. Just, you know, don't be a grammar Nazi. Thank you. Thank you. And you know what? It's very interesting how you use that saying yeah I use that yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna start saying that to people yes that's very interesting hmm, tell me more about why you use the word hype beast yeah. yes <laughs> great oh man so yeah so this was awesome um sarah got in contact with us with our email address yes. which is misinfopod at gmail.com um go ahead and shoot us an email if you have any uh comments questions or feedback or if you are also an expert in something and you want to come talk Please. with us about it yeah. um, like Sarah did. This was awesome. Um, you can reach us on Twitter. We're at MissInfoPod. We have a Facebook page, Misinformation, a trivia podcast, and we have a website, www.missinfopod.com. And you can listen to us on that aforementioned website. And uh, if you want to listen to us, you can reach us, get us at any anywhere you get podcasts. You guys know how to do it. You're smart. Yeah. Um, especially now after you listen to Sarah. So, um yeah, please rate, review, and subscribe, and uh, tell a friend. Yeah, and uh, this is great. Yeah, we'll, we'll catch you all next time. Bye. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> <That's great. laughs>